0: I uh, gave our poor tech crew and our setup folks the daunting task of getting used to this new digs, and I just took off. I just took right off and went away for a whole month. I took every one of those 31 days. And I'm going to be sharing a couple of things that I think God has spoken to me about on those 31 days, during those 31 days. But today actually marks the beginning of a brand New Journey, because we're going to be journeying through the book of Mark together. We're going to make our way through that book, the smallest and most action-packed book in the New Testament. And the title for this introductory message, today's message to get us launched into the book of Mark, Renewable, came to mind and it grew out of our recent road trip. Joy and I hopped on that Bronco bronco and rode 6,092 miles. Just slightly more than Denny and Robbie on their trip. <laughs> Beat ya. <laughs> but we compared notes when we got back, and they've actually been to some of the same sites that Joy and I got to see, and which I found pretty incredible. It's very nice. And I'm glad you guys made it back safely as well. And thank you to every single one of you all for holding things together and enjoying the five missionaries we had. I noticed that we had... Uh, Bob, Mark, Mark, Pedro, and Mark. So, three of those missionaries were named Mark. That was a subtle clue. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Mark, mark, your <laughs> mark your words. Because Mark is an important word in our church, and it's launching us into the study of the book of Mark as well. But we had planned to visit a whole bunch of relatives and friends many of whom we hadn't seen in at least five years, some we hadn't seen in 10 and one set of friends we hadn't seen in 20 years. We were going to do that last year and this pesky little thing called a pandemic got in the way. And so we went this time instead. And I'm so grateful that God allowed us to see everybody except one that we intended to see. He tested positive for COVID two days before we were going to visit with him. And he said, you probably better stay away. And I said, good idea, but he's doing fine, gratefully. And yet, all those people have been used powerfully by God to help shape who Joy and I are today. And so it was important for me, now that we can make our way into their lives personally and face-to-face, because there's nothing like face-to-face contact in really cementing relationships, and particularly relationships that God has used to help propel us into what we believe is our calling. And it renewed our calling as well, which I'm sure all of you can identify with when you have those times of retreat or renewal, when you just need to get filled up again. And boy, did God fill us up. And he filled us up mostly through those people who have been so important to us in our lives. Hello, some of you, because you're probably streaming in today. Thank you for hosting us when we were at your place. Uh, I won't compare which food was best, but we had some really good food including some meat from one of my sisters and and, uh, my brother-in-law's cow, because they raise their own cow for good, lean, grass-fed beef out there in New Mexico. They named their cows things like brisket and (laughs) chicken fried steak, stuff like that. It was the best meat I've had in a long time. It was really good. But we finally got back around to seeing almost everybody we intended to see, and the word kept coming to my mind, renewable 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 that became the theme for the trip for me and it became i think the theme for this launching into a new journey for us as we start looking ahead there's been a lot of talk as you have heard i'm sure if you followed any news at all i try not to see too much news because it's depressing but sometimes you got to check in and see what's happening and there are a lot of there's a lot of talk about renewable resources you know renewable that definition and i should probably use my wand because i realize that i can do that now Renewable is something that can be replaced through new growth. Joy and I visited Mesa Verde National Park in Colorado, southwestern Colorado, where there's all kinds of Indian ruins and cliff dwellings that are still there. I had no idea how populated that area was with Native Americans. That was the forerunners of the Pueblos. Tons and tons of these ruins that are still there that are remarkable to look at. But they've had some fires in some of those areas. It's like a 21-mile drive all the way across the mesa over to where all those cliff dwellings are. And we could see different patches that had been burned out. And some are in various stages of renewal. Some were very recent. And so clearly they looked a lot more rough than some of the other places. But in some, only 10 years later, there's starting to be some new growth. And there's a whole forest that will be there one day. And so it's becoming renewed It's a renewable resource, something that can be replaced through new growth. And while it's positive for us, and I think we should steward wisely what God has given us in this earth and our natural resources, we need to be good stewards. But we need to also understand that I think God gave us something that's going to last even longer, much longer than the natural resources on this planet. doesn't mean we should squander them. We should wisely steward them, but there's something that lasts even longer. What is that? It's the soul of you and I, the human beings, the human soul, because God has made us for eternity. He's not made us for time, and so I think it's so good to be reminded of that, and Joy and I were reminded about that just by driving through that Mesa Verde uh, area. So during this journey through the book of Mark, we're going to see how through Jesus, who is God the Son, God wants to renew our strength And our hope, I was delighted to hear what uh, Dr. Pipe shared with us this morning in Growth Encounter from uh, David, some more looking at David's life, because it reminded me that there were times in his life when he felt like, man, I sure need some renewal, because my enemies are all around me, and I don't know what to do next, and yet he garnered strength by waiting upon the Lord. And my prayer is that we're all going to recognize as we gaze into God's Word through the book of Mark. That God wants to meet us at those places when we're depleted and when we're in so great a need that we're panting for him like the deer pants for the water. That we're so thirsty spiritually for him that we want to dive into his word because we know that that's where we're going to find this renewable resource that he has for us through the Holy Spirit. That's all got to start, of course, and we'll look at that as we start getting into the gospel of Mark. It's got to start with a complete renovation of the heart When he starts to make us into a new creation, that's that beginning of the restorative process. Because if we're lost in our sins, we've got to be saved and we've got to be turned around in our attitude toward God so that we're open to him and open to that transformation that he has for us. Well, one morning on that trip, it took almost three-fourths of the way through the month before I got to this one day when I started to really connect with one of the verses that became sort of the launch point for this specific uh, series. It was a day when we had reached Canyon de and it's spelled C-H-E-L-L-Y, Canyon de Uh, This is my father in the hat, the tall one, my sister, Kathy, and then I'm that adorable six-year-old. And I only say adorable because, well, it's true. (laughs) And because that's what people say about me when they see those pictures. Don't know what happened, but that's what it is. But on this trip, I was hoping just maybe when we got to Canyon de Shea, which is in northeastern Arizona, it's on Navajo land, that maybe I would be able to find the same spot where that picture was taken so that I could match up the pictures. But I didn't have a clue where, they were, where I was going to find that spot. And it's been 48 years since I was there <laughs> And so I started thinking, well, Lord, you're just going to have to guide us because I'm not sure what we're going to do. And we came in a little bit later in the day than we had planned because Phoenix traffic is really something. And it took a while to get back up the hill and up toward Flagstaff and then over on 40 and up through Navajo Nation on some very slow roads until we got to Canyon de Shea. So we got there fairly late in the afternoon, and I went into the little uh, area where the, uh, the, the guy, the, what do you call those guys? The guys in the uniforms The park rangers, yes. Duh. The park ranger, and he was there, he was a Native American man, had a ponytail in his nice little uniform there. He said, uh, what would you hope to accomplish today? And I said, well, I know we're kind of late in the day, so what we're hoping is that we can drive to some of the most awesome spots in the lookouts, because I haven't been here for years, and just see all the things that we can see. He goes, okay. Okay. And so he laid out a map for me, and he says, here's what I would suggest based on the amount of light you have left in the day. And he said, drive all the way to the end. It's going to take you about 26 minutes to get here and hike out to the Spider Rock, because that's the one everybody wants to see, the Spider Rock Overlook. And once you've done that, then when you're on your way back, every turn into the next overlook will be a right turn. And I so that makes sense. And he said, some of them are very close to the road. Others have some short hikes out to the overlooks, and you can choose the ones you want. And I said, and do you think we've got about... Two hours of light left. He goes, I think it'd be just about right. I think you'll be able to see almost all the overlooks. And I said, great. Thanks for your help. We got in there. We went the 26 miles to Spider Rock, started looking out at this magnificent stuff. And then we started coming back through each of the other places. And I skipped a couple of them because I thought, we're running out of daylight. I don't know if we're going to find it. And I was just, I, I was just sure I was going to skip the one that I wanted because I wanted to see this place again. And so we got to the next to the last overlook. And we found it. And I matched up the two pictures there because that's still the same formation that was there 48 years ago. It hasn't gone away. And I just stood there, and I was taken back in my memory. It did something profound in my soul. For one thing, it's so vast. And I remembered that my father taught my sister and me a couple of things because he carefully instructed us to get all the way down on our bellies because there's some flat rocks there, and you can crawl out on your belly until you're literally hanging your face right over this sheer drop-off. And we saw a Navajo lady with an axe cutting wood outside her hogan. And my dad was teaching us about how sound travels. Uh, it takes longer for sound to travel than light. And so we could see her hit the wood, and it would take almost a full second before we would hear the sound of that. So that on her uh, backswing of the axe, that's where we could hear the chop. So it was really funny. It was backwards. was like chop, chop, and he was teaching us because he was a mathematician and an engineer, and sound at that temperature travels at about 1,100 feet per second, which means it was just under a second before we would hear that sound, and in all that vastness, I remember hearing the wind whistle through the trees and thinking, I am so tiny, and here I am at my age, and I'm a lot taller than I was back then when I was that adorable, and I realized that I still feel just as tiny in that vastness of God's creation. And I thought, that's a good thing. It felt good to remember what it feels like to be small. Because I needed to be reminded that God is so vast and that He is absolutely unchanging. As I looked at that specific spot, I recalled all the things that we had learned on that trip and many others when God showed us some of His handiwork And it was as though we were listening to God saying things like, I don't change. This is even changing. What you're looking at, even though it doesn't look like it's changed, it's eroding, but very, very slowly. I could picture a time when there was probably a catastrophic event, like a great flood, when the tectonic plate would have lifted up high and some mountains would have just come up out of nowhere and the water would just roll down through these cracks in the earth and washed away everything that was soft, leaving these great canyons like that. And if you can see the Mesa Verde Visitor Center and understand that there's a big model of what that plateau looks like, it looks like if you were to take a bucket of water and pour it into an area in your sandbox. And it would wash away everything that was soft and leave everything that was hard. And I think that it's very possible that some of these formations had really taken place in a very short amount of time, rather than the kinds of rivers that take millions of years to cut their way down through the rock. And there are some other formations that give evidence to that as a a possibility. So all these things caused me to think, you know, I need to get back to remembering what it feels like to trust that God is big enough... To tackle any problem that I've got. I need to be renewed by remembering how big he is and how small I am. Because I don't know about you, but I suspect that there are others out there who, like me, may have felt at times in this last year and a half, like there are just too many things coming at us. And I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate for the tasks that are being laid before me. How am I possibly going to solve all the problems that are coming at me this fast? And this was a renewable time for me. Well... Joy decided that she needed to send me out to the canyon as well because uh, she was going to finish getting herself together after her shower the next morning, and she knew that I got ready very quickly, and thanks to a haircut, that happens because you can drive very fast. And she said, while I'm finishing getting ready, why don't you go out and see if you can take some more pictures or visit the canyon or whatever? And I said, okay, I'll take you up on that. And our hotel was literally one quarter mile away from the entrance to the Rim Drives, And I got up before dawn, and I kept saying, keep going, keep staying, don't come up yet, son, stay out there, keep. And I finally got out there to the Antelope Overlook, I drove out, it was about a mile out to this parking area, I was the only car out there, and I was kind of hoping that it would be just a few steps out to the overlook, no, it was a good solid hike, and it was well marked, but it was very rocky, and so I was hiking, and I'm saying, keep staying, don't come up yet, son, don't come up yet, son, and it was just me and a hawk. And this hawk was just riding the wind all through that canyon. And it was so quiet, except for the wind through that hawk's feathers. This was just a hint of what I got to experience that day. It was a light show. And God just kept parting the clouds long enough to shine a spotlight on this part of the canyon and on that part. And then the clouds finally went away, and I could see the sun just coming up just unrolling like a scroll on the walls before me, a thousand feet down to the bottom where the same Indians and their ancestors had done all this farming, and they're still farming down there today. It was an amazing morning. So on my hike back up to the parking lot, I was thinking about Jesus who had also sought some renewal and some refuge, and it happens early in the book of Mark, which is why it became the springboard into this new journey through Mark. Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still very dark. He departed and went out to a deserted place. Probably not too unlike Canyon de Shea because I noticed that the geography is fairly similar to what it was like over in Israel. And there he spent time in prayer. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, if Jesus were God the Son... He's got all of these God qualities, so he should have everything he needs to accomplish everything he needs to accomplish and meet all the needs of all the people, right? Well, he gave up some of those things voluntarily so that he could come and become a human in the form of a servant so that we could really identify with him, which means that he still felt everything we feel, and he was still tempted by everything we're tempted by, and yet he didn't sin. So the context for this verse, verse 35, noted early in Mark's gospel, is the first 34 verses. Because like I said, Mark is the most action-packed and most succinct gospel writer. So Mark's gospel starts with action. Let me just uh, summarize them for you. He starts by saying, John comes and announces Jesus coming. John baptizes Jesus to signal the beginning of his earthly ministry. Jesus is affirmed by the Heavenly Father when the Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus. Jesus is then, and this is the word for it, driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he's tempted by Satan and then where angels minister to him. And then John is imprisoned and that's when Jesus actually starts to preach the gospel and do the work that he was called to do on the earth. So all of this stuff is taking place right off the bat, and it's in the midst of conflict and an arrest of his good friend and possibly cousin, John, who's actually In prison, and then Jesus starts. And then Jesus calls his first disciples. He casts out a demon. He heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law and is sought after by those who have heard about these amazing things because they're thronging to this guy thinking, oh, if he can do that, I bet he can do some stuff for me too. And so the thronging crowd started coming to him all the time. So what does he do in response to that? Well, he goes out into a deserted place and renews his spirit and checks in with the Father. It's amazing to me that when we start to get impacted by so many things, all the circumstances that would just feel like they're going to crush us, one of my first responses is to work faster and harder. If I just keep doing more, I'll be able to solve all this stuff. I'll put in longer work days. It just doesn't work that way. I really see in Scripture why we need that Sabbath rest and why we need to... uh, Depart daily sometimes, or withdraw weekly, or sometimes abandon annually, which is what Joy and I just did. And that abandonment is not so that we can turn our back on everything that's calling upon us that needs to be done, but so that we can renew our strength and mount up with wings of eagles and get a better picture for who's actually doing the work as we saw in this morning's growth encounter. And then we can boast in our weakness by saying, yep, I can't handle it. This stuff is way beyond me. Why have I been trying to do it all myself? And we can trust that God is going to pour his power and strength through us so that in our own feeble efforts, we just keep showing up and doing the last thing God told us to do until he tells us otherwise, and he gets the job done. Repeat this verse as I give it to you in small chunks. Then Jesus got up early in the morning. While it was still very dark... Departed and went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. Ah. He got out there in the silence, away from the noise, away from the news, away from the emotional cacophony of conflict. He got away into the stillness, away from the busy, frenetic activity and he was still and he got renewed he needed to be renewed regularly and he's god if god the son needed to be renewed i realized boy i sure needed to do that too and i wasn't practicing what i was preaching very well because i didn't step away often enough long enough during the last year and a half and so i was in desperate need of renewal And Joy and I actually slept probably 12 good hours a night for the first two or three nights that we were on vacation because we were just spent. We had nothing left. And then we could start to feel some of that strength creeping back in again. And with each visit of the people that God had used to shape our lives earlier in our lives, he was renewing our strength by reminding us of those things that he had called us to in the first place and says, I haven't departed from that and I haven't lifted my hand away from you and away from your calling. You're still called. You need to keep doing what I've called you to do. So get back and do it. And we just sense that all through our time of being away. And I know for a fact that many of you have had some very difficult situations in your workplaces, in some of the relationships that you have had as well, when you found yourself depleted and frustrated, maybe angry, wondering, am I going to be able to survive this specific period of my life because the needs are just too great and we can't get enough people to come alongside me to help and i feel like i'm just weighed down and i'm all by myself ah guess what you're a renewable resource too because god wants to renew your soul if you can get still and be quiet and understand that he will help you to mount up with wings of eagles Well, Mark felt inadequate, and for good reason. I think he probably felt inadequate, especially in the early part of his ministry, because we read in a couple of other books in the New Testament that he had actually kind of blown it according to Paul. Now, I'd be interested in hearing Mark's version of the story as opposed to Paul's version of the story, but Mark was going to be going along with Paul on a missionary journey, and he decided to go home instead. And we've talked about that in a couple of previous messages, but we don't know exactly why he did that. Maybe it was young and inexperienced and he just got homesick. I don't know. Maybe he was afraid of conflict wading into Gentile territory and he wanted to go back with the Jews and Jewish believers that he felt more comfortable with because he knew that there would be relational conflict with these people who are coming into contact with new ideas that Paul was going to be throwing at them. Maybe he was a compliant personality type, and Paul was a go-getter, man. He was one of these rock-solid people that wasn't afraid of conflict. In fact, he created conflict so that he could share the gospel. I don't know what all the factors may have been that caused Mark to do what he did, but I understand what it can feel like. And he bailed, according to Paul. He bailed on him and went back. That created a rift in another good relationship because Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement about who they were supposed to take on the next uh, missionary journey, Paul said, no, Mark blew it. Barnabas said, I'm the encourager. You need to encourage this young man. You talk about different personality styles. We got Paul and you got Barnabas. And so they disagreed enough that Paul actually took somebody else. He took Silas with them on the next journey, whereas Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, the young man. Now, we read later, not the details about how it came to be, but fortunately we read that there was a reconciliation. And Paul, in fact, called for Mark to be sent to Rome after he was in prison. Because he knew of Mark's reputation. He said, this guy is so good for me and my ministry. And he became an assistant to Paul. So clearly there was a big difference of opinion that happened between the time that they had that disagreement with Paul and Barnabas and the time Paul was writing for Mark. So, Many of us have been through some difficult relational situations in this last 18, 20 months. And I suspect that many of those situations could actually result in something like what we see in the Bible. And I'm praying that some of us will actually see some reconciliatory discussions with people who have had some very different opinions about a couple of issues that we've been facing together. Because as we start to get rooted on the gospel and brought back to that which is of first importance, I'm praying that all of us will be able to lay down our pride and start reaching out to other people and saying, We're believers. We're united through the blood of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. Let's cooperate for the gospel's sake. I'm praying that that will happen, and I'm grateful that there are enough people here even today. This is really encouraging to me because I know it's been very slow going to get some numbers of people back up again to where we are, and for good reasons, but you guys are such an encouragement. Just hearing those voices resonating out there in the worship time this morning, I thought, oh, I'm home. (laughs) It feels good to be among God's people doing the things that God has called us to do. So what will Mark's gospel make of us, I wonder? Emile Victor Rue, E.V. Rue, was an expert, born in London, he's a Brit, Uh, classical literature, he was a poet, a publisher, a translator, and he had translated Homer's works into English, which by itself is an enormous feat. By age 60, Dr. Rue was still an agnostic. And yet, his publisher, Penguin House, decided to ask this noted translator to translate the four Gospels into English. An agnostic. Interesting choice. Well, Rue's son heard about this project, and here's what Rue's son said about that. He said, it will be interesting to see... Mark's inadequacy, I'm, I'm behind in some slides because I get just so into what I'm preaching. What will Mark's gospel make of us? Here's what Rue's son said about this project that he heard that his father was going to embark upon. He said, it will be interesting to see what father will make of the four gospels. It will be even more interesting to see what the four gospels make of father. And he didn't have to wait long. Because before the end of the first year in that translation project, Dr. Rue committed his life to Jesus Christ. The Jesus he was seeing in the Gospels, including Mark's Gospel, which we're going to be journeying through together, was so real and so tangible and so present and so powerful that he could not shake the Spirit of God that was pulling him back into a relationship with him because it had been separated by sin and doubt. And so, Rue died in 1972 at age 85 after having lived the last 24 and a few months of those years as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, which he discovered in the Gospels that he was translating. Dr. Rue was a renewable resource, and he was renewed from the inside out because that's what God does. He's all about renewal, and redemption, and pouring new meaning, and new purpose, and new life, and new strength, and new hope for eternity into people who will open themselves up to him. So, I'm wondering, who has God used in your life to shape your life? Has God used some specific people to help be the gospel to you in a way that has caused you to say, wow, I have to take this gospel seriously because I can really tell this person means it, and they're living it. Well, we're going to see Mark's relationships with a bunch of different people and who shaped his life and how his life was shaped. And how, in turn, God used Mark to shape other people's lives, including ours, because we're going to be looking into his life. God uses relationships with people to shape us as well. And Joy and I saw that really clearly. And there's one couple in specific that I really wanted to talk about very briefly as I close, because I think this is going to be such an encouraging story that you're going to levitate off your seats about two inches. I know that's a tall order. I'm I'm hyping that up pretty good. But I think it will lift your spirits, maybe not physically off the chair, but I think in your spirit you'll be encouraged by this. These two people are Don and Debbie Jones, and we attended the church while we were in uh, Glendale. I actually preached for Don about 10 or 12 years ago when I was out checking on my mom when she was alive and uh, had such a great time with them. There's sweet church, sweet believers. Don and I didn't realize how parallel our paths had been until we were comparing notes at lunch after church this last time we were with them. But he was the lead trumpet player in the jazz band in college that I played in as well. Good trumpet player. And then he wound up going separate ways. He went to the West Coast to go to seminary. I went to Texas. Don got his degree, and then he became a band teacher, and so he actually was bivocational for a number of years, so he led band, and he preached this whole time, and I was uh, trying to figure out how to lead music in some churches, and then God called me dragging, kicking and screaming into the ministry so I would actually become a preacher someday, something I had vowed up and down I would never do, don't tell God you won't do something, and so then Don was doing so well, and his church was so vibrant, and he had a stroke. And this is probably, I don't know, eight years ago or so? I'm I'm fuzzy on the details on that. But it's been a number of years now, and fortunately and amazingly, it affected a little bit of his mobility. He had a little trouble with balance, and you can tell sometimes when he's tireder that his gait was a little slower than it used to be. But he and Debbie were really active. His wife, a science teacher, had taken karate together. It was interesting to see them spar. (laughs) (laughs) husband and wife. I think it was healthy for their marriage. I don't know. But they were so active, and he was actually a bodybuilder for a while. So he was really muscular and fit and athletic, and then he had this stroke. So that changed everything for Don. But, gratefully, he was still in the saddle, still preaching at West Glendale Baptist Church, and the church was doing fine. And then it started to go down, dipping down, dipping down, and then the pandemic hit. And as you can imagine, as it has been for so many churches in the country, it was really down there. I mean, he'd been having upwards of 140, 150 people in worship every Sunday morning, and it was down to 20 people. And he said, because he was feeling the effects physically from his stroke from years ago, he some mornings felt like he just couldn't even have enough strength to get up. And his wife, Debbie, was having to call some of the other people in the church and saying, can you fill in for Don today? He's just not well. And Don was just fit to be tied. He's thinking, what am I going to do? I don't feel called away from this ministry yet. I feel like God's not done with the work here, but maybe he's done with me. I don't know if I can keep doing this or not. So it was sometimes on Wednesday nights in their small group prayer meetings, he said, sometimes it's just me and one other person. And we would cry and pray together on Wednesday nights and say, God, what do you want for this church? Then fast forward a few months to last June. Don goes to a pastor's conference in Phoenix. Debbie said, this is at lunch, she's filling in. They've been married so long that they finish each other's sandwiches or (laughs) sentences or something. But she said normally he finds the table closest to the hallway door because he doesn't want to have to go very far to get to the restroom. And this time he just kept walking and walking, and he's walking right into the middle of this big room, and Deb said, Don, where are you going? And he goes, that table right over there. She goes, why? And he goes, I don't know. (laughs) I have to go to that table over there. And she goes, okay. So she followed along, and he sat down there. The first guy who came to that table was a pastor, sat down. They started sharing the stories about battle scars from all the stuff that they'd been through and all that. And The guy said, You know, we're being kicked out of our current space because we've been meeting in what was a chapel of a larger church, and they're renovating that chapel into educational space, and so we have no place to meet anymore. He says, We got a lot of people, but we don't have a place to meet. Don says, Well, that's interesting because we don't have very many people, but we got a lot of space. He said, You should come to our church building and look it over. And so this pastor went over to West Glendale, started looking around. So then they started thinking, What about a merger? And so they started comparing notes, and they got their elders together, they got their deacons together, they got all the leaders, and they said, are we in sync about a lot of these things? They said the statement of faith was there. Uh, all of our core values seem to be the same. We have a lot of similarities. And Don's church previously had had a lot of different ethnic groups represented in there. It was kind of not so much anymore because of the pandemic, because so many of those people in the ethnicities had just not come back to in person yet. But in this other church, there was Filipino, there was Native American, there was Hispanic, there was some South American, I can't remember which one, Venezuela maybe. Um, It it was just an incredible, eclectic, wonderful international group. So they said, well, let's put a team together and see if they can become a transition team and we'll see if we can follow the, the green lights that God gives us. And if it's a green light, we'll merge together. And the Sunday we were there, they were voting on the new name, out of the three that they were choosing and every one of the three have the word international in the name so it's either going to be west glendale international or glendale international or west valley international church because they wanted to know who we are where we are and what we are that was what they wanted in the name and they're announcing it this morning and because there's a little bit of a time difference in about uh, two hours they're going to be doing that so they get to know their new name today And Joy and I actually went to their church service and stood there, and Deb said the first time they got together and praised the Lord together, they had enough people now that they have rotating praise team members. They don't have to use the same people all the time. That's how God is growing this thing. And she said, I stood up there, and I started to sing, and I couldn't sing, and I just blubbered for the whole first song because I was out there looking at this, and I've got a little tiny clip to show you what we experienced on the Sunday that we were there as well. Wings like <laughs> That's something only God can do, and we've seen it at Living Water before. Because back in about 2008, God sent a group of people to join with us in like-mindedness to carry out the vision He had for us, and I am confident after being renewed in my own spirit, that he is not done with living water yet. And that he has a lot more renewal to do, not only individually, but corporately, as we're steadfast in proclaiming the gospel and getting back to that which is of first importance. And so I'm just curious to know, what will the gospel make of us? I pray that it will speak to us and that it will change us, and that we won't make something of the gospel, but that it's going to transform us into being the kind of people... God wants us to be because he's just that kind of God. So if you've ever felt disappointed, exhausted, conflicted, inadequate over the past year and a half or more, this gospel, I think, is going to help us see that we too are renewable resources. Let's commit ourselves. Let's commit ourselves to being renewable and open so that he will lift us up on wings like eagles. Let's pray together. Father, oh boy, I'm so grateful that everything in your word is true. And I'm grateful that you renew our spirits as we do exactly as Jesus did and step away long enough to be still and in your presence. And that you remind us in so many ways, even including through our relationships of those people who helped shape us the way we are now that they are continuing to be used by you to shape us. And I pray that all of us will shape our uh, world around us, those people that we're related to, that we'll rub off on them in a good way with the gospel, with this renewable message of a God who is so steadfast that he never changes, and that his steadfast love is renewed every single morning. And he wants to pour that renewal into our souls so that we can have the Spirit of God in dwelling within us and giving us the power to do what you call each of us to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.